0: the book of 2 Samuel, chapters 2 and 3. Considering these two full chapters that we're going to share from today, there's not enough time to read everything that we have material-wise in the Word of God to share. So I'd like to summarize... A couple of chapters here, and before I summarize, I feel like I need to summarize what I'm going to summarize. (laughs) Most of us are familiar with King Saul. He was made king. The people wanted a people's king. So he was established in that position. And then he, he halfway obeyed the Lord, which is no obedience at all. And he was rejected as king. It, it was pronounced upon him. The Lord used Samuel in this situation. And then, and then some boys were brought to Samuel and, and none of them were meant to be king. And, and the, the, the dad was asked, do you have any more boys at all? Well, I got one more. He's at home. He keeps the sheep. And, and so David was brought up and the Lord uh, told Samuel that He was to be the one. He is the one that is going to be appointed king of Israel. He's the anointing is going to be on him. He's going to take Saul's place. And so this was a prophecy that was known by so many. It went on for a long time, for many years. And when we come to the text today, we're going to understand that that Saul has died Say. that it's a clear understanding that Saul has, has left this life. He's no more. He's not going to be king anymore. And it's David's turn to rule and reign. He was to be king over all of Israel, of all the tribes of Israel. It's an understood thing and it's time for him to step into position and along comes this troublemaker named Abner. Abner comes into this situation. And knowing that it's going to be David that is to be the God-appointed king, Abner is general over the army of Saul, and he's afraid of possibly losing his position and losing his power. So he takes the only living son of Saul that is left, named Ishbosheth, and he gets him into that position of leadership uh, over 11 of the 12 tribes. David is put in position as leader of the tribe of Judah, he's anointed there, but there's a split leadership now, and a whole lot of problems that take place that shouldn't be all because of this troublemaker Abner, and there's a there's a lot of details we're going to see in this. So as we go into a little bit longer summary, the summary might be longer than the message this morning, but... As we're up to speed now, it's decided some years before that David would be king, chosen by God. Saul's reign is going to end. King Saul has died. He was, he was wounded and still alive, but in misery. And an Amalekite comes by Saul and, and sees that he's in misery. Saul says, put me out of my misery. So the Amalekite kills him. And then along this Amalekite comes up to David and David said, what's going on? Where's Saul? And he's the very one with the testimony. Well, I found him in misery and he asked me to kill him and I did it. So he's dead. And and so, and so so David clearly understands the testimony. He's heard it from the horse's mouth that the king he was to replace has died. His life. Is is gone. It was taken. And he knows this. And he knows he's to be implemented. Put in place as king. From the very time of in his childhood and his youth. When he was anointed to do so. He's known this for a long time. That he was to be king of all twelve tribes of Israel. He comes into the tribe of Judah. And he's accepted of them. And and as I say when this happens that's when the trouble starts the general of the army Abner he's the one that gets a lot of things started that shouldn't be going he is he is acting out of his selfishness and in his pridefulness and he's promoted and he pushed someone else into that leadership, knowing that it was to be David. And and so we have a divided leadership between two kings. We have God's man, and then we have the people of the man that God had rejected, and they're trying to continue business as usual in the position that was for David. And then there was a there was a game fight planned, if you will, to try to resolve this issue. And you had Abner on one side with the people of Saul, the house of Saul, and then you had the house of David. And physically speaking, David's people and David's servants were clearly overmatched By those of Saul, you had better, you had better seasoned soldiers on that side. But when you have the Lord on your side, it makes a big difference. So David's people were starting to prevail in the situation. And as they were starting to prevail, Abner was spotted among the group. And he already had his own reputation. And so we have a nephew of David that has spotted Abner. His name was Asahel. And Asahel was a fast dude. Abner's taken off. Asahel starts taking off after him. And what does the Bible say of Asahel? It says that he was light of foot as a wild roe. In other words, this guy can move. This guy was fast. He was gaining on Abner, which sounds good for Asahel. The problem is, he's not very experienced as a soldier. He doesn't have the seasoning of Abner. Abner has been in war and been in battle and experienced with that. So as David's nephew Asahel is approaching Abner, Abner's looking back and he's saying, Hey... I'd like you to go to the left hand or the right. Please, please don't catch up with me. You don't want to catch up with me, OK? Go after some soldier that is more your speed, more your age, more on your skill level. Because if you catch up with me, there's going to be some severe consequences. I'm going to take care of you. It's going to be the end for you if you catch me. Well, he was fairly warned, which is Abner didn't do everything fairly, but he did do that fairly. And Asahel didn't turn to the left. He didn't turn to the right. He kept going after Abner. And Abner gave him a shot with the spear from behind right under the fifth rib. And that was the end of Asahel. Well, Asahel had brothers. Can you imagine what is happening now? Asahel has brothers Abishai and Joab. And so they go after Abner. They're, they're not as fast as their brother Asahel. So Abner was able to get away and the sun went down on the day and he's, he was able to hide in some darkness. And then the next day from a distance or, or the next time they talk from a distance, then you had Abner addressing a conversation with joab saying hey this gang fight let's go ahead and call it quits let's try to resolve everything this is silly let's get over this and understand you've got the, the the people of God against those that were rejected of God. And so Joab, he agrees and he blows the trumpet sounding the end of the battle uh, that that has taken place. David's group has lost 20 men and that is Asahel plus 19 men, David's nephew involved. And then Abner lost 360 men. So the battle was over, and, and it, there's an obvious winner of the battle, but there's a war that's still going on. A war taking place, and it continued between the rejected house of Saul and the God-appointed house of David. Abner, being in the house of Saul, he was a very strong representative He was on the wrong team, but however, he was he was very strong power for the house of Saul. And and as he represented them and as he was leading, if you will, those people through this situation, they weren't doing very well, but they were doing what what they could without God, which isn't very good, but they were doing what they could. And to make matters worse, we have Abner. Who went on a date with Saul's wife. The late Saul, he went on a date with his wife. And so what that meant in that day of time, that was an expression of Abner saying, I'm going to become king now. That's what happened when you took the wife of a king that had died. That's what you were saying. Now, let's go back for a second. Abner had appointed Ishbosheth which was Saul's only living son to the position of king. As Isbesheth understands what's going on with Abner taking this woman, this wife of Saul, he rightly addresses the situation and says, this isn't right. You can do this. Do you know what you're saying by this? And so being in authority as king, he did what he should. Well, Abner's Pride did a 360, he lost his cool, and he couldn't stand what Ishbosheth said. He, he had his idea that I put you in position and you don't tell me something like that. So Abner gave him a mouthful and let him know how the cow ate the cabbage. And so Ishbosheth, not being a man of war, not knowing how to lead an army, with Abner in that position of being able to do so, Doesn't say a word back to Abner. Abner leaves. He's gone. I mean, he works on feeling and emotion and pride and selfishness and sinfulness. And he's gone. And obviously, for wrong reasons, he's going to the right team. But he wants to go and be on the house of David's side now. And he can get some things done. He's a smooth talker. Be careful for people like that. So as he starts to smooth talk David, he says, "Look, I'm I'm leaving this. This was wrong. I'm coming over to your side. I want to be a help to you and make a covenant with you." And David says, David figures out something in this, and he says, "Okay, well you have to bring my first wife Michael to me. Bring Michael to me, and I'll be good, and we can do this." And that's exactly, that's exactly what Abner did. He was able to get the wife of of David, who was married to someone else at the time. And and that husband is crying as he's following his wife out of town as she's being led away to David. And he was told to turn around and shut up and go back home. So that was the end of him. Michael is presented to David. He's happy. Abner did what he wanted. He had some personal communication with David trying to smooth a lot of things over. Abner went out and he campaigned for the other 11 tribes of Israel for David to be their king, which he was the one that got them under Ishbosheth. alright? Now he's campaigning for David to be able to be the king of all of Israel. He is successful in what he did... And so that leads us to a new point. Joab shows up. I, I know I've, I've studied this for a couple of years to figure out everybody and in every situation. I don't know how much you can keep up with here and follow. I hope all of it. But Joab, who is the nephew of David, who Joab also was obviously the brother of Asahel, the one that got killed by Abner, Joab shows up around Hebron. That's, that's a, a center place where a lot of this takes place. And Joab shows up and he hears, he hears that Abner has been there. And Abner's worked out an agreement with David. And, well, Abner was here and he's gone now is what was told. And he's out campaigning and roping in the other tribes for David. And then Joab says, did you not realize what a sneaky snake, what a low down, deceitful, shim sham artist this guy is that you had in your hands and you let him go? And so, and so while the conflict is taking place over that, Joab slips out of the scene and he takes some men and he goes and he hunts down until he finds Abner. He gets Abner. He has him brought back to him, and then he's chit-chatting with Abner. Remember, Abner had yelled out, hey, let's make a truce. Let's make everything all right, Joab. This is senseless. Let's stop this gang war that we have going on. And so Joab acts like he's talking about how how they really need to get together. Yeah, that we really need to do this. Everything needs to be good. Let's go for a walk, Abner. And they're taking a walk and they go right outside the city gates. And right after they get outside the city gates, Joab, acting like he's talking to him, takes his sword and pierces him right under the fifth rib, the same way Abner had killed his brother. You would think one deceiver would know another, but Abner was fooled. And as we come to that finale of a summary of this, of course, Abner dies. David has this sensitive heart for Abner now. And so David cries, David preaches his funeral, Abner's body is laid to rest. I could have summed that up a lot easier and a lot quicker, I guess. Because Saul has died. It's time for David to take up his throne and kingship as king of Israel. And everything else that took place added up to just about as much sense as two bald men fighting over a comb. It was... Just a bunch of silliness and sinfulness and selfishness that went on knowing what was to take place concerning this event and the recollection of this event. Concerning the kingship of David as he was on the entry level of taking over, maybe you think as we shared that there's not too many significant things in this for you and I to talk about. But there is. There's some wonderful lessons for you and I as we dip back into this. And so the first thing we're going to share is in chapter 2, verse 1, we see David's inquiry to the Lord. And it came to pass after this, that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? Samuel had told Saul, The Lord hath rejected thee from being king of Israel. This was a long time ago. And then the Lord said of David, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. This was the predicted plan of the Lord for years and years, for David to take over as king. After Saul... Saul has died. David clearly knows this. David clearly knows it's his time to take over as king. But he goes and he asks the Lord about it. He asks him, you know, what do you want me to do here? Uh, Shall I go into any of the cities of Judah? Well, My thought is, of course you do, David. You're the king. You go in and you take over. You stand on the promises of God and you go. Why would he ask such a thing? It's been prophesied. I'll tell you one thing in this. We should never push ourselves Through doors of opportunity. The Lord opens doors of opportunity for us. We should never push ourselves through that threshold. We should let the Lord guide and take us there. The Lord has specific design timing on everything He wants to do with us in our life, even if it's something that we know we are to be doing and supposed to be doing. Whenever we let the Lord guide us and take us and do something He wants us to do in life, we can then be sure that we are not stepping ahead of the Lord, that he is not behind and we are trying to lead him. You know, some people come up with a plan and then they want to hitch God To their plan and claim that God wants it to happen. And that's not always the way it is. That's never the way it is. God clearly leads us. He has a perfect timing and a perfect way to bring about his will into our lives. David cannot be accused of going ahead of the Lord here. He's already known something for a long time. The time has come for it to happen. And he asked the Lord, where do I go? Do I go? What cities do I go into? So the Inquiry of the Lord is a very wise thing that David has done. He waited upon the Lord. He had the utmost reverence for the sensitive, perfect timing and way that God wanted to do this. And you and I can all take Some advantage of this and knowing that we need to make sure we follow the Lord in all things of our lives. So we not only see David's inquiry to the Lord, if we continue in verse one, we see David's instructions from the Lord and the Lord said unto him, go up. Wow, a green light. All right. Go up. The Lord says, go ahead God said, go on. Keep on reading there. David's inquiry still hasn't ended. That's still not enough peace for David. And David said, whither shall I go up? And he said unto Hebron, go ahead and go, David. Well, where exactly do you want me to go? There are some places that God wants us to go. And there are some places that God doesn't want us to go. God has specific wills for our lives and in our journeys of life with him. There there are so many specifications that we need to make sure that we heed the word of the Lord and the guidance of the Lord and reverence him. He wants us to go to certain places and certain times, and you can you can be sure of it. It's for very good reasons. It's for reasons far above and beyond anything we can comprehend that God would guide us into and have us to do. He told David to go to Hebron. And there's some going to be something very specific about this city and we're going to see it later. It's a specific place out of everything and everywhere he could have went. Out of all these tribes of Israel, it was one specific place that the Lord led him to. God has specific instructions for every single one of our lives for his glory and for our good. You can, you can put that in the bank and you can, you can stamp it as, as good and signed, sealed and delivered. He has certain things for us to do. So we see David's instructions from the Lord, but let's, let's go to verse two and let's not leave out David's iniquity against the Lord as careful as he was and asking instructions. Verse two, it says, so David went up thither and his Two wives also. You can go over to chapter 3 if you want and look in verses 2 through 5. And there's some addition to those two wives that are made. This has never been okay with God. It has never been overlooked by God. David doesn't get away with what he's doing here. David suffered a lot of punishment and a lot of of the consequences due to sin in his life. Yes, he was the apple of God's eye and he never continually went on in one sin. And there was there's the beautiful repentance in the 51st Psalm of David. But there might have been sin, but he never went on in the same sin. And he did repent. He truly turned. But David paid For his sin, though there's forgiveness, there is still consequences for sin. And as David was used of the Lord and and wanted to do things in the Lord, he still paid for those things that he had done. We can't hold back from the Lord and expect to experience his blessings. The fullness of blessings comes from God To us, whenever Jesus Christ rules and reigns in our lives, when he rules our hearts, that's the only place he accepts. That's the only place of the fullness of the blessings of God concerning our lives, Jesus must be king of all or he is not king at all. And you and I are going to know it because we're going to pay a price. Sin always causes problems and David had his share of problems in his life because of it. And it held David back from the fullness of the relationship that he seemed to desire to have from the lord you know a good rule of thumb david back in back in verse 1 there he said okay god I, i'm coming to you i don't want to just push myself through this doorway and go in and take over like I'm somebody what do you want me to do where do you want me to go he asked for God's guidance in exactly what to do so a good rule of thumb for you and I to have is don't do anything that we wouldn't ask God's guidance in I doubt that when David went to have another wife at it I I doubt he asked God's Guidance in that situation. Let us ask God's guidance in everything we do and all that will keep us in checks. Oh, that will keep us so safe from doing things we ought not be doing. And speaking of problems, that brings us to David's interruption. Look here in chapter two and verses eight and nine. And and we have this name Abner come up. Maybe you've never heard of Abner before. Maybe you'll never forget Abner. But it says, But Abner, the son of Nair, captain of Saul's host took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim and made him king over Gilead and over the Asherites and over Jezreel and over Ephraim and over Benjamin and over all Israel. Now, we kind of tried to summarize and cover that, that he that. Abner took Saul's son and he slipped him in there as king. He wanted to keep his position as general of the army. And so here comes David's trouble. We have a divided land. We have the children of Israel, the tribes of Israel divided in kingship, which was not what God wanted. Nevertheless, it is taking place. I will say this, though, about David. The Scriptures give no indication that David panicked or that David worried about what happened To the interruption of God's plan in his life. And this interruption, it happened and it went on for no short season. Look, even when we're in the will of God, even whenever there are things that we are having God guide us into, to be able to be used of Him and to serve Him and to live in His will is still going to bring some problems into our lives. And you might think that they never end. I sat down with someone several years back, and they told me about a problem that's been going on for 35 years in their Christian life, and it hasn't changed. And that, unfortunately, may go on for some of us. But let's look into chapter 3, and and I'm going to show you how this was no short season, this war over kingship of the children of Israel. Verse 1. It says, now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Well, God, why haven't you done something here to change this? This is your plan that I be king. It's your plan that I take over and reign as king. And this keeps going on and on and on. It's a good thing that David inquired of the Lord about this. It's a good thing that he didn't just try to push himself into this open door that obviously had been waiting, that he had been waiting for. But when that door was open, he went to the Lord and he asked him, exactly what do you want me to do, God? Exactly where do you want me to go? How is this going to go down? You lead me, Lord. I'm so glad he asked that. Because then when he got into a time of trial and tribulation and problems and war and conflict over stepping into this, he didn't have to look back as he would have thinking, well, what I did, what did I do wrong? Look, this was supposed to be. He was able to anchor himself down for the entire fight because he had been led by God to be exactly where he was doing exactly what he was supposed to to be doing. And so we see a great summation of this one point here in chapter three at the end of verse one. Look what happened. Even though there was long war between these two, David waxed stronger and stronger and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. Praise God that the Lord is an army of one. And he guides us specifically into what he wants us to do and he strengthens us and he helps us to to sit out the situation and to endure whatever it is that that he would have us to endure and to anchor down. And to suffer through whatever we go through, we're able to endure. We're able to stick to it when we know God has led us into it. That gives a new meaning to the saying, if he brings us to it, he'll bring us through it. Right. I might not have said that, right. But, you know, the saying and think about that. If he brings us to it, he'll bring us through it. That's very important for you and I in a specific will for our lives from God. Oh, it paid off for David because David inquired of the Lord even after known things in his promises and his prophecy and he followed God's instructions and he's overcoming the interruption that has tried to take place in his kingship. And that's a whole lot better than what Abner did. Let's look at Abner's insanity in chapter three and verse six. It says, And it came to pass, while there was a war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner made himself strong for the house of Saul. Abner planted himself and became courageous against the will of God, against the plan of God, against the anointed kingship of the Lord. David did what he did according to God's guidance for his life. Abner did what he did according to his own selfish feelings, pride and sinfulness of his own heart. Seeking to please self, not worried about anything else. He And he knew he was opposing God's will. Later on, when when Abner shifted over to the winning side, to God's side, to David's side, and he went out campaigning against Ishbosheth, who he had put in position on the other side. And he went to these tribes of Israel. Look what he said in verses 17 and 18. There of chapter three. And Abner had communication with the elders of Israel saying, ye sought for David in times past to be king over you. Now then do it. For the Lord hath spoken of David saying, by the hand of my servant David will I save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all their enemies. Come on now, Abner didn't just catch on to this. Abner didn't just find out all of this information when he hooked up with David and had a little talk of a covenant he wanted to make. He already knew this. He already knew this when he was opposing the things of God. Man, it is insane to stand against God. It is insane to speak against God's church. It is insane to believe that the world has changed things th- over a period of time where, where the Bible has a certain interpretation that doesn't apply to what's going on today. It's insane what you hear going on in the world, even from professors of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's insane to corrupt and to go try to corrupt and go against the things of God, and and that's Abner's insanity. You can see yeah, they, when you pick this apart. There are some good things Abner did. I believe all for the wrong motive, but there's some insane things he did here. But we not only see Abner's insanity, we see Abner's injury. If you'll go with me to verse 27, and when Abner was returned to Hebron, Hebron. That that brings something to mind. The Lord told David, when David inquired of the Lord, he said, go to Hebron. That's, that's exactly where the Lord told David. I'm glad David inquired of the Lord to go there. I wonder where David would have went out of all the cities of all the twelve tribes of Israel if he hadn't asked the Lord and just went to take over. I, I, it's very... Slim chances. It would have been Hebron. But God sent David to Hebron. And, and, and then so Abner's getting roped into this stuff. And because he's over there wanting to be on David's side and do these things, he he ends up in Hebron over here. Lord sent David to Hebron. Abner is there. When Abner came to David's side, I say that he went to Hebron. Okay, this city Hebron, it means a place of refuge. It means a city of refuge. The Lord sent David to its it's it's a place of altitude, okay? It's a place of strong defense. It's a high tower, it's a shelter that we can trust in. God sent David to where he was safe. There were places For that, that you could do just whatever you wanted to someone that was, they were very undomesticated places. And then you had Hebron where there were strict laws against, against these killings and different things like that. And there was safety there in the city of Hebron, a place of refuge. Wow, God sent him there. God's will will keep you in the safest place possible for your life. God's plan for your life is so secure... Our plan for our life is so unstable. It's been proven to every single one of us when we've tried it. You know, it seems like we Christians sometimes act as though we want to see how bad it really is outside of God's blessings. Is it really that bad? I can enjoy the temporary pleasures of sin for a season and I just have to step outside God's will a little bit. That just seems so fun. Maybe the grass is greener on the other side of the fence or the horrible things that we can think when we're corrupted and not following the word of God. Oh, God's will is so safe for all of us. You know, I believe we're forgetting how to trust in the Lord I mean, we, we trust in Him as Savior that He died for all the sins of everyone in the world and, and we come to Him by faith and, and He saves us from our sins. But then, but then in our daily life before He takes us home to heaven, we, we, we just can't seem to trust that path and that will of His for our lives. Oh, it's just, it's just, I got to try this. Well, I have to do this. I have to be over here. I can't be in this certain place when it's a safe place. It's a secure place. Oh, I, you know, I believe, I believe that, that we've never learned to trust him in, in a lot of ways. You know, when the children of Israel were to go in and take over the land that God promised them. Two out of two million was the ratio. I believe in our Christian lives and the work and the maturity and the growth we have is just to simply trust that God knows what is best and to go where he leads, that we might follow him, that we might throw our own agendas out the window, that we would get rid of self and that we would be consumed with our savior let me finish verse 27 there. When Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the, I told you, under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Asahel, that fast fellow, his brother. Well... Abner was in Hebron. He was in this place of refuge. He was in the same place that, that David was. You know, as you, if you've gathered a little bit about the character of, character of Abner through this, he was, he was just all over the place. And he was starting fires in every different place, and he didn't know which way was up and which way was down so much of the time. He was so led selfishly and sinfully. Though here he was in the city of refuge and Joab comes along, puts his arm around him, has a little has a little personal conversation with him about how good he wants things to be between them, probably. And he marches him right outside the protection of this city. They went right outside the city gates and immediately he died. Abner was killed. He approached him there in Hebron, where you couldn't, where you couldn't do that, but took him right outside the city gates. There are Christians everywhere today that are living outside the refuge of God, and it is a very dangerous place to be, may I promise you that whatever temporary things that that you might enjoy outside there, it's not going to be worth it. Just as Joab escorted Abner outside of of the refuge of God to his death, there will be somebody that will try to take you out of God's will and take you right outside of His protection and cause the same thing for you. Uh, I talk to teenagers all the time. I live my life with them basically, it seems like. And I tell them, watch out for the pretty girl that will take you right outside of God's will. And you know that you're out there. Watch out for the good looking guy that'll take you right outside of the protection of God. We don't see the dangerous place that it is. It's a miserable place of bondage deprived of the blessings of God outside of His refuge. I beg you not to go there and to do that. I promise you any person or anything we can partake in outside Side of the things of God, it is not worth it. It's going to be devastating in, in eternity concerning the lack of rewards and the suffering of loss. It is not worth it. That rascal Abner, he somehow got to David's heart. And David liked him. I mean, he brought him his wife. I believe it was a shallow deal, but nevertheless, he, he liked him. And he, he was there at his funeral and he cried at his funeral. And he preached his funeral and he said, died Abner as a fool dieth. Went outside the refuge of God and died as a fool. And there's no doubt that God can shorten the Christian's life that does go and stay and dwell outside of his refuge. But I want to tell you today that if you're here and you've heard of the refuge of God for eternal life and salvation through Jesus Christ, and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that will be a foolish death to reject him. That will be foolish not to have the eternal knowing peace in your heart that you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. God's refuge is here. The doors of the city are open and you can come to Him for salvation. The psalmist said it beautifully. The psalmist said, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble, our refuge in strength, a very pleasant help in trouble the Lord is. I will sing of thy power. I will sing aloud of the mercy in the morning. "'For thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble.'" Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is a refuge for us. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. In Him I will put my trust. Will you do that this morning? This morning, will you say, I, the Lord is my refuge? I, I do. I will put my trust in Him. Your sins will be forgiven no other way. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, there's the penalty for For sin is death, and there's that separation from God, and there's no other way. It's only through Jesus Christ. He is the refuge of God that was sent for you and I. Would you come into His city of refuge? Would you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You may all stand, and we're going to go to the Lord in a word of prayer. My Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you today, Father. And I want to thank you for your truth your never-ending truth, your word that is never outdated, it's always on time, it's always in fashion, dear God. Lord, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for your salvation that just keeps on being offered. Your word will never pass away and your salvation will be here until you come to get us, dear father. So, Lord, I ask now that you would rain down your power and your mercy and your grace. And for the one that is here, Lord, may they receive understanding. May your Holy Spirit communicate with them, convict their hearts of their need for you to know salvation, to trust in Jesus Christ and to know the free pardon of sins, to be washed white as snow. My dear God, for the Christian that is here today, but living outside the refuge of God, Lord, you can show us we're only so tough. And dear God, you can break us down out there. I pray for your mercy and grace that you draw your children today back into your fold, back into your will, that they would know that they need you, that they would want that safe place, that safe city of refuge. Dear God, we love you. I want to give you thanks for what you do during this time of invitation in the hearts of the people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.